while we play a game. What is with me space? Ah, ah, ah. You didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. The files are in the computer? We're only using a simple polyphonetically grouped 20 square digit key transpose from booster phonic form with multiple nulls. After very careful consideration, sir, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense system sucks. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. So it's a code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. Welcome to the latest episode of the Cyber Tap. Mike, how are you, my friend? Well, life was just about returned to normal, and then Almost. Gonzaga blew it. Yeah. So the tournament's over. Gonzaga played a terrible game. Baylor played a beautiful game to win. They the did. No, no arguments tournament. on how they played. But what Mike is referring to is if if Gonzaga would have won that, we would have finished one and two in our office bracket poll. And which is normal, is that's, normal that's for the, us to be right there winning the most baseline. of our competitions. I mean, we're just, that's just what we do. It's just <laughs> what we do, Mike. Now, Eric, er, technician Eric's like hands up. He's like, well, we've got a new. So there's some history here, folks. So we had the Golden Geek Trophy in our team for a long time, and it was just back and forth, Mike and I winning every one of those. Uh, then we went to this kind of larger scale, bigger team, and Eric had been dominating on that. So technician Eric, you, you definitely you get some credit there. Um, but we almost went back to normal. But nope, the world is still on fire. It's still crazy. Mike and I did not finish one and two in the bracket challenge. But congr- congratulations to Keith Corbin on our team. Yes. He who definitely had, had the who, cleanest who had bracket. had come close quite a few times. He oh, could never get over the hump. He'll so tell you he the was, story of losing to me in mini golf by one mini stroke. Golf. He'll, mini he'll, monster he'll, golf. He'll still say he should have won that. I'll say, well, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what can you do, Mike? So how's everything else going other than the tournament? Good? Good. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not so excited by the proposition that I got to start doing yard work. Yeah. As spring abates and summer starts. Yep. It's, it is that time of year. Beautiful weather though. Time to get outside. But that always brings a thread of thunderstorms, which we yep. will always have here in the Midwest. And this is the worst transition I've ever made in intro. Speaking of threats, <laughs> we're talking today to Steve Ginty who is the Director of Threat Intelligence for Risk IQ? Mike, I enjoyed this conversation. we just meeting Steve for the first time, but I liked it. I, th- I had a good time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely some information that I did not already have in my tool chest. Yeah, and uh, just, a, just a fun conversation. S- Steve seems like a lovely human being, and uh, <laughs> recommend a listen. This is The Cyber Tap with Steve Ginty. Thanks for joining the Cyber Tap podcast. It's, it's good to have you and it's good to meet you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So we like to start all of our episodes, as our as our listeners know, pretty much the same way. We, we like to, especially for a guest that we were not familiar familiar with, we just ask, you know, kind of how you got your start in cybersecurity and, and a little bit about your career and kind of what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, kind of meandering uh, as, a, as a start, most likely, <laughs> uh, like a lot of people uh, in, in cybersecurity nowadays. Um, I uh, have a, a bachelor's degree in finance. Okay. Uh, I thought I you know, really want to dig into numbers and, uh, and, uh, and do kind of more uh, forensic accounting type stuff. Uh, hmm. Hated the accounting part, so that kind of uh, <laughs> tailed, uh, tailed in the wrong direction. 
uh, and I moved to DC to go to grad school and to uh, get a master's degree in uh, public policy. And uh, come to find out after graduating, there are not a lot of high-paying policy jobs. Uh, <laughs> and I needed money. Uh, <laughs> now you said you went to DC, but nobody actually goes to DC. So you were in Northern Virginia. I was. That's correct. <laughs> I moved to Arlington, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, uh, I needed a I needed a job and I got a job with Northrop Grumman uh, as a kind of program support uh, person and that uh, contract was it was doing kind of real low level IT security and kind of compliance based security uh, for the Department of State uh, and that's where I kind of got the intro to uh, to cybersecurity as a whole and uh, kind of moved my my way up from there uh, so didn't really uh, get into threat intel until uh, started to work and do some some work for Raytheon uh, mm-hmm. on the corporate security side. Uh, from there, I moved over to VeriSign iDefense to be more of a threat intel analyst. Uh, and then after VeriSign, uh, started a, a company called Passive Total uh, with uh, my co-founder, Brandon Dixon. And RiskIQ acquired the Passive Total platform about five and a half years ago. Uh, and I've been doing uh, a whole bunch of things at RiskIQ uh, since then on the product side, on the sales side. Uh, now, uh, specifically on the research uh, and threat intel side uh, for the company as a whole. So kind of all over the place. Well, and I want to, that's, I mean, that's a lot of interesting stops along the way, and we definitely want to get into the work and, and what you're doing. But now I have some some personal questions. So you can tell me to mind my own business if you want. I, I made the joke about DC because nobody, because I always tell people I went to DC, but I didn't. I went to Northern Virginia for a little over a decade. You you said you went Grum and Raytheon. I went Lockheed General Dynamics. <laughs> And, uh, right. but then stayed in, then I did some department of defense, small companies, and then came out to, uh, another small company, Blackbird, which was, it re- was, uh, acquired by Raytheon later. Mm-hmm. So I spent my time in the DOD and Intel communities out there. How long were you in that Northern wait, Virginia? Wait, does that mean you two were direct competitors then? When I, when I was, uh, I was on, so my contracts were almost all attributed. Obviously the ones I can talk to talk about were attributed. I was a sub to Grumman on an NRO contract for a while yeah. as a GD employee. So I was actually out there in Westfield, but uh, yeah, so it's, it is, yeah, we were in competitive companies for sure. <laughs> <laughs> when were you out there? Time for uh, moved, uh, to DC or to Arlington in, uh, no, it's okay. You can keep saying DC. I'm the only one that's going to recognize that. It's like when I moved to DC and I used to tell people I'm from Boston. I would never have said I was from Boston before I moved to DC because right. I was from the suburbs. <laughs> um, uh, so it was 2004 and then my wife and I are now, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. We moved, uh, in December of 2012, um, to, to Memphis. So, uh, about a, about a nine year stint, uh, in Northern Virginia and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, I'm happy, uh, happy to be in Memphis too. So the, the, the parallels are, are worth noting here. So I went out in 2003, okay. came back to the Midwest in 2013. <laughs> so I refer, I, I, and I, and I say the same thing. I really enjoyed it. It's a really interesting place to live for a while. Yeah. So much, life and interesting things to do. But, uh, I, you know, being a Midwesterner by birth, it was time to come home. Does something me, happen so. at the 10 year mark that nobody <laughs> talks about that you just have to get out of there? Uh, well, no, I, I, DC is so, tra- uh, that area is fairly transient too. So like yes. we kind of, we kind of lived the arc of a lot of the people that we knew when we first moved there had, had come for a few years and moved away. And like, we were kind of in that middle ground of like, we're either going to be here for, you know, for the rest of our, our lives or, we're going to kind of make a, make a move. And so, um, yep. we decided to, to come to Memphis, which is where my, uh, my wife's 
uh, originally from uh, Arkansas area. Um, but yeah, it's a kind of that kind of tipping point almost. <laughs> exactly the same. So I, I'll sometimes refer to it as a 10-year stretch, the same <laughs> way you would refer to a prison sentence. Um, not and, and, I, and I have nothing, I have no ill will towards Northern Virginia. I actually love going back and visiting um, and I've had a chance to go there for work a few times and it's always fun to kind of go to your old haunts and things like that. But uh, I do refer to it as a stretch sometimes. And, it, and Steve, for me, it was the same thing. Like, a kid, my oldest was in second grade and we're like, we either go now or okay. we don't go. Yeah. You know, that kind of Yeah. It was like, oh, you know, I think uh, you know, this has been really good. Um, <laughs> but let's try something new. But what a great, like for, for anyone listening that has ever thought or thinking about it or ever has the opportunity, it's a great place to go find employment, if, oh. especially in, in IT or security or, you know, public, you know, kind of you were on the public servant side, you know, the, the, yep. the government and policy side, lots of opportunity um, out there and, and really served me. And it sounds like served you well to start there, make some, make some things happen. And then, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have, it wouldn't be where I am now or have the career that, that I have if it wasn't for, you know, those, those nine years. So, yeah, uh, it was a, it was a great place to spend your twenties, uh, is what I like to like to say. <laughs> yeah, so you made so yeah, I agree, I totally agree. Uh, so you made that transition from kind of the policy side, which we know cybersecurity is a crap ton of policy, yeah. right? But that kind of that public policy policy side into you know the cybersecurity realm. What was that transition like? Yeah, for me it was uh, you know I, I was doing some you know more compliance work uh, yeah. with the you know with the State Department contract. Um, and it was a good intro. Uh, and, you know, I, I used that as a, as a way to kind of, um, you know, get a broader understanding of, of IT and security. Uh, right. So a lot of certificates, uh, a lot of, you know, time reading up and kind of, you know, really getting my bearings uh, on what I like to do. Uh, and then working with individuals uh, within, you know, the different parts of the contract to understand, you know, the industry itself and, and what the opportunity yeah. was. Um, and had the, uh, you know, had the good fortune to meet some people there, uh, you know, uh, that brought me into other areas, uh, you know, like Raytheon and, and iDefense. Uh, and so it was kind of that starting of building a network that, uh, that turned into, uh, you know, where I am today. Um, uh, and the, I think for me, the biggest kind of transition point was, uh, was the, the analytical capabilities from my finance degree, uh, really applied well to, uh, to the work I was doing on the security side. Uh, because I was doing a lot of infrastructure analysis. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at domains, IP traffic, correlating a bunch of data uh, across, you know, who's registered these domains, where, where do they live, how often have we seen them, you know, do they associate to malware, and kind of just picking apart that larger investigative puzzle, uh, which was really a nice time. Uh, you know, that mm -hmm. curiosity from wanting to dig through numbers uh, actually actually paid off in the uh, in the IT security realm. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you mentioned passive total tell us a little bit about that that product and i know it is, is it was it it was acquired by risk is correct. correct it was acquired by so risk. tell us just about how that started and what it is and yep. that whole I'm, I'm fascinated by the acquisition side of things too <laughs> just in general uh so we were doing a, a lot of uh, you know i was doing a lot of this infrastructure analysis uh picking through pdns data looking at who is records kind mm -hmm. of correlating malware command and control domains and ips uh, as a part of my research uh, at, uh, at iDefense. And, you know, one of our primary sources of information at that time outside of who is information was passive DNS data. Um, and the consistent problem you would have is uh, humans, myself included, uh, have horrible memories at remembering things uh, like IP addresses sure. uh, or even dynamic DNS domains or anything like that. 
And so we would always have these conversations about, uh, well, we're looking at this domain and it correlates to this. And someone would be like, yeah, I've seen that a couple of months ago. And I was like, there's no way. Like, I don't even remember what I looked at a few months ago. And it was right. this kind of scenario of we kept redoing the same work, right? Looking at the same record, PDNS records, looking at this, doing the same analysis and spending so much time um, kind of in the data aggregation and collection phase uh, that uh, I was, you know, started talking to some, uh, some colleagues and said, well, wouldn't it be great if we could start to layer context on top of this, start databasing the information we see, start adding tags and labels for what we've already investigated uh, and, and kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we started kind of just uh, this proof of concept of, uh, you know, a lightweight Mongo database that took in, uh, you know, API feeds for different uh, PDNS sources uh, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, a- applying a tagging layer and a user interface uh, so that you're moving this away from the command line and making it a little more accessible to analysts. Uh, and right. so the idea was how do we kind of grow that analytical capability within an organization? How do we save that institutional knowledge? I worked with a bunch of analysts who, you know, did certain things and left. And then right. I was picking through Excel files and one notes <laughs> and text files. And, you know, there was just no way to kind of start to database uh, these analytics. Uh, and so me and Brandon Nixon, you know, started slowly creating this, uh, this platform that we gave out to the community uh, and said, hey, check this out. What do you guys think? And had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, IT security people uh, hammering away at it and giving us feedback and, and yeah. destroying it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually it kind of evolved into, into this uh, where people were like, well, we would pay for this type of analytical capability and platform inside of our, our environment. Uh, and so. Uh, yeah, how much? <laughs> uh, you know, and so that, that, then it goes, you know, okay, you got to build the, uh, the business case and what are you doing? And we were naive enough to, uh, well, I was naive enough to, to think, Hey, you know, what's going to be a great idea. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go try to actually, actually do this and build a business case and, and try to sell this to, to different organizations. Uh, and so I did. Uh, and for, uh, for about a year, we, uh, kind of, you know, just pounded the pavement talking to, to friends yeah. and organizations and analysts, uh, and started to get a, uh, take our free users and, sell them enterprise licenses uh, on top of, uh, of the community. What is the saying, Mike? Fortune favors the bold, right? <laughs> or, or, or the stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's, it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> so did you, know, did you have a lot of oh, success ahead, Mike, in that sorry. year that you sold? Uh, you know, we did. We, we ended up, um, you know, kind of uh, word of mouth, uh, opened up kind of an enterprise uh, gated package. Um, and I basically just ran through inbounds. Uh, and so within the first uh, three months of, uh, you know, of building out the capability, we had a, a pipeline of about 100 opportunities, uh, which, you know, at the time I had no clue if that was good or bad. Apparently that was that was a decent, that was a decent <laughs> problem to have, uh, you know, with, with very minimal kind of interaction. It was all inbound engagement uh, from people that had used the free platform over, you know, over about a 12 month period uh, and really wanted to, you know, to get a, a broader level of service around it for uh, their IT security operations. So I want to grossly oversimplify what you guys were doing. See if see if I'm close here. Uh, so the idea is is that you're you're logging tagging domains, specifically nefarious type domains. You mentioned command and control, but things that are the phone home domains of malware or other malicious things. Yep. And and then if that particular domain comes up from an enterprise on the enterprise edge then there's an action to be taken. Why, why, is, why am I calling back to this, what seeming, is a seemingly random domain, which you guys would flag as being a, a bad one in some way? Is that, uh, correct. Is that kind of, 
Uh, and mostly we would, oversimplified, but yeah, but that's you know that's that's exactly it. We and we would give people the platform to do that investigation. So maybe you had a suspicious, uh, you know, uh, alert uh, to an IP or a domain, and you wanted to understand kind of the ecosystem around it. Uh, you know, what other domains live on right. the IP address? What other domains were registered by the you know using that email address or phone number uh, in the Who Is system? Well, what did it look like? Uh, because, you know, the idea here is that, uh, you know, this investigation is just kind of pulling together breadcrumbs like anyone would from, you know, from any investigation and trying to understand the context of is this good or bad. Um, yeah. And so when we started, really, it was more so we weren't even telling people what we knew. We were layering some of that in based on our own investigations and actions, uh, but we were just giving them the ability to go sift through the data in a meaningful way. Uh, before that, you would have to query three different command line, you know, clients for three different PDNS databases and go and find who is from another source uh, and then right. correlate it all together. And you probably spent you know, 80% of your time doing the data aggregation and 20% doing the investigation. We wanted to build a platform to flip that dynamic because I'm lazy and I didn't, <laughs> you know, computers can do these things, um, you know, and kind of serve as that, that kind of analytical platform for, you know, incident responders and threat intel analysts. I can remember very early on in my career, uh, we were looking probably at Wireshark data, some PCAP, you know, and yep. we were seeing domain we didn't recognize. Like, what? what is this thing? What is Akamai? Now, of course, <laughs> now I know it's a CDN that distributes like 60% of the internet. Well, at that time, it was like 60% of the internet content distribution was coming through those Akamai points. I was like, well, that sounds terrible. Why? Nobody should be going there. I'm trying to go here. And why am I getting that? But and I, and I remember like doing the who is, what is Akamai, and then it's a CDN. Well, what the heck's a CDN and all that's obviously I was very green at the time, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, and the other thing that I was thinking as you were talking was, you know, like WannaCry was stopped because somebody registered the domain, the, the, the phone yeah, home domain. domain and just held on to it. <laughs> yeah. As soon as they registered it, all the traffic was actually, they could just stop the traffic from, from flowing further. And yeah, it, it's, it's a, I, I, like I said, it was grossly oversimplified, but it's a fairly simple concept that gives you so much intelligence, just that kind of who are you, who are you communicating with and why and who are they? Correct. And, you know, I mean, as the, you know, as the industry and the investigative capabilities have matured, we've kind of focused on how do we aggregate more data to, uh, you know, to provide those breadcrumbs uh, to analysts. So, you know, GDPR came up and who is data mm -hmm. has been degraded a bit. Uh, right. so how do we index other things uh, associated with the domain? that would provide you that correlation point. Uh, and that's kind of how we've evolved at RiskIQ is RiskIQ was focused on crawling the internet and understanding mm -hmm. interactions of web pages. Uh, and so we could, you know, uh, pulling down the whole document object model and indexing interesting uh, entities out of that document object model, understanding the redirection path uh, that, uh, that would take place uh, when you went to a, a domain maybe or where third-party resources were pulled in uh, to support you know, video or content or whatever, uh, right. or how you got redirected from Akamai to where you really wanted to go. Uh, and so we've been able to kind of um, bridge, bridge those two capabilities together to create an even more robust analyst platform. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's what's the typical skill or knowledge level of a, of a person who's going to use that passive total product? Uh, our target market is, uh, you know, originally was uh, threat intelligence uh, and some incident response. Uh, mm -hmm. As we've grown, we've uh, we started to support a, a much larger kind of ecosystem of security operations uh, analysts. Uh, so, you know, our focus over the years has been, uh, you know, we were successful because we made a, uh, a difficult problem easier or approachable. 
right? We gave you a, a correlated way to do this in an analytical platform uh, that didn't have, you didn't have to understand, uh, you know, where all these data sources were and go aggregate them. And so we've really taken that approach. How do I simplify my actions as a senior analyst down to a, a mid-tier junior analyst mm -hmm. to really make capabilities easier? Uh, so now we're, you know, we're focused on uh, providing a reputation score uh, that gives you information about, you know, good, bad, suspicious. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to ingest open source intelligence and tag, uh, you know, known bad domains, IP addresses, et cetera, uh, based on research that's already out there uh, to really expand your ability to make that quick determination. Okay, mm -hmm. is this something I need to need to really, you know, dig in or spin up a whole incident response for? Or is this... Akamai. And uh, while it right. looks questionable, uh, you know, on first glance, it's actually legitimate, uh, you know, internet infrastructure. Yeah, it's like a shift left, you know, security going into the development stack. It's like shift down, right? The more action you could take at the lower levels uh, of your right. of your SOC or your, your incident responders, I mean, makes you so much more effective if they can make good, intelligent decisions. And, and appropriate ones, right? Correct. And, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard problem to solve, but it's a really interesting problem to solve too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've serviced the, uh, you know, in our analytical platform, we've serviced kind of the top tier investigators. Uh, and now we're, we're really kind of pushing it out to uh, a larger security operations uh, group and kind of tailoring how we, you know, how we do this to, to make, make that decision process easier. Uh, everybody has alert fatigue. Uh, everybody's got more information than they need. Everybody's got more feeds. Uh, and while we know we're kind of adding to that noise at times as well, uh, can we do things via, our, you know, our our understanding of the world to make your life easier? We have broad visibility of, you know, what's happening on the Internet uh, on a daily basis. Uh, can we use that broad visibility to inform, uh, you know, your, your security operations and incident response? Right. So I have a question. One question, two parts. So this is very high level, but I get when we get an expert on, uh, not that you would call yourself an expert in anything. And I, I, could, I got that sense from you early in our conversation because I wouldn't call myself an expert at anything other than maybe a few movies like PCU and Dazed and Confused. I'm, I'm probably the leading knowledge on what those movies are. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm an IPA picture. expert. I really enjoy IPAs. So maybe <laughs> okay, you're an IPA I'm, expert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and who cares if you're not? Because there, there's always something that knows more. But I, I, you know, in, in security you're as close to an expert in threat intelligence we're going to get. So you're the director of threat intelligence at risk IQ. So I want to ask you a very basic question, two parts. What is threat intelligence and what, what is, what is not threat intelligence? So what it is and what isn't it? Sure. I think threat intelligence is at its core context to an event or an incident, right. Uh, and about the actions that are taking place by actors on, on your network. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, uh, risk IQ, we refer to ourselves as a data company. Uh, we, we were empowering, uh, you know, uh, threat intel experts and analysts to, to generate um, threat intelligence uh, based off of our data, um, you know, but we were a data provider. Now we're moving into the intelligence space. It's really that analytical capability. It's mm -hmm. that ability to distill down uh, the broad swath of data we collect into meaningful bits of information that inform, uh, you know, uh, a security operations uh, group or that inform an incident response uh, so that you can better, you know, target, uh, you know, your limited resources. So I really think it's the it's the context and analytics uh, that uh, that really, you know, highlight what threat intelligence is. Um, everybody provides, you know, data at some point that can be useful, but if you don't have that person on top of that data making analytical decisions, uh, you're not developing threat intelligence. Mm -hmm. 
And so are there not 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 throwing anyone under the bus? Are there is there a, is there a snake oil salesman out there selling you threat intel that's not very useful? I mean, I feel like there probably is because threat intel is very it's not buzzy, but you know what I mean. It's just you hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, you need this threat intel or this threat intel," and I mean, I've been given a lot of intel that's not actionable, right? Correct. I think the biggest, you know, the biggest takeaway is uh, threat intel is kind of a, a mindset of how you want to build a program uh, more mm-hmm. than a, a specific vendor that's going to answer your threat intel problem, right? You know, right. we go with uh, when we're talking to our customers that organizations are their best kind of forms of threat intelligence. I can provide you a lot of information, uh, but I don't know what is directly relevant to your organization. Uh, you know, what your, you know, is keeping your, your CISO and your analysts up at night. And if I don't know that information, I can give you the whole corpus of, of data that we have, you know, that we have developed at Risk IQ, and it could, you know, it could be useless, right? Right. Uh, so really understanding the problem you're trying to solve as an organization, uh, and then tailoring, you know, the information we provide you, or the ability for you to generate that information internally, um, is key. Um, yeah. You know, and so you know, a, a loan feed of of I, malware IOCs or, or or things like that isn't going to solve the problem if you don't have the right program in place internally to ingest and do that analytical process yourself. Right. Right. That certainly makes sense to me. So where, where do you see the, you know, the trends of threat Intel these days, like from a service perspective, yeah. not the threats themselves. I want to ask about threats because that's, that's kind of sexy. I want to talk about <laughs> it. Right. But like the, the trends of threat Intel as a service, where is it kind of come, you know, maybe historically, where is it, where has it been, where is it today and where do you see it going in the next few years? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously in, in our industry, it's, it's advanced significantly, right? You know, the capabilities mm-hmm. have, have grown tremendously. Uh, the amount of information that's available in the public is, uh, you know, is so much different than when I started at iDefense in 2011. Uh, you know, that was pre Mandiant's APT1 report. People weren't right. dropping information left and right out of the, out of the sky. I mean, the, the tempo of, uh, of research and reporting that is put into the market today is so much different uh, than it was back then. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity, uh, you know, in open source intelligence that organizations are, uh, are just mm-hmm. probably talking about that, you know, previously didn't exist. Um, you know, I think what, you know, what we're seeing is so when I started, it was, it was very feeds based. I can create a finite list of, of things that are associated with a, you know, from the espionage side or, you know, the ABT side of the house that are associated with that group uh, that are probably going to be in use for the next year. And you can block those and have some comfort of, uh, you know, of detection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've seen the infrastructure that organizations uh, that actors use has evolved so much quicker. The tempo has increased. New infrastructure is, is brought online for new campaigns. Um, so that feed model, you know, was a good basis, but it had to evolve. Uh, you know, it had to evolve into understanding uh, the malware, the TT, the tar, you know, the tactics, techniques, and yep. procedures that the organizations are using. Uh, and so I think you've seen that evolution over the last uh, couple of years. Um, I think from you know Risk IQ's perspective, the most interesting trend we're seeing is uh, is on the vulnerability side. Uh, you know, if you look at you know, 2020 and uh, you know the, the rapid shift to remote work and kind of organizations, digital transformation, having, uh, you know, plans, having been a five-year window condensed into, you know, maybe uh, three months, uh, you know, that really changed the landscape of of how organizations are operating. 
Um, and you combine that with, you know, a constant drumbeat of, of new vulnerabilities that these organizations have to defend against. Uh, and, you know, you're seeing a lot of fatigue. There, how many critical vulnerabilities can an organization patch right. or prioritize or, or support, right? right? Yep. Um, you, you know, and, and 2021 hasn't really uh, slowed any with, uh, you know, with Exchange and, uh, you know, Acelion yeah. and all these other, you know, continuous solar winds and, you know, stuff come, has come out. Um, you know, so I think the situational awareness of your attack surface, where these vulnerable assets exist in your organization, mm-hmm. uh, and then who is leveraging them to and targeting them, is really where we see kind of uh, the the market evolving a bit. Is um, yeah. you know, Risk IQ has been in the attack surface management space uh, you know since its inception, uh, but we're really seeing traction on on that situational awareness and really understanding your exposures to the internet. Uh, at a at a you know much more granular level uh, in 2020 and into 2021. Yeah, it's interesting. I, we we talk about this in some of our basic level workforce development cybersecurity class. So these are for folks that are you know, smart and ready to maybe start a career in cyber. That you know how how important asset management is. We you kind of and and you're saying attack surface you know awareness and those types of things, uh, which which at the first the first stage of that is knowing what you have and where it is. Yep. And then and then why it is, and then uh, what's vulnerable about it, or what is that surface, right? And then the who after that. I think it's we're, now we sound like a detective show, but <laughs> you know answering the the what is it, the four W's and the H or whatever. But yep. I mean that's so critical and it's fun. It's overlooked so often. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And how do you, you know, I mean, from a, from a threat Intel perspective, how do you go to an, or, you know, you're not usually, or usually, you know, uh, part of that kind of vulnerability management program, right? Someone else manages this within your organization. How many times can you go to them and say, you have to patch critical vulnerability X before they yeah. just become numb to it? So, you know, I mean, while they still may be numb to it, being able to say, okay, we need to patch this vulnerability now because these actors are known to use this vulnerability and they, you know, and, and ransomware is our biggest concern. But, you know, I mean, just to be able to back it with a little more context so organizations right. know uh, why it should be important, I think, is is significant. Uh, and you can also build timeline information. Uh, look at exchange, right? You know, you're talking about a vulnerability that in January was being used by nation state actors yeah. to announcement by Microsoft in March that these vulnerabilities exist to public, you know, uh, accessible proof of concept code. Uh, to ransomware actors joining the the fray within about a week of, of that announcement. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that, that timeline is now compressed, it seems, uh, significantly. Do you, yeah. do you find that the dissemination of the threat intelligence uh, is doing more for customers to prevent future or to react to current threats? Uh, I'd like to say yes to prevent. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it really seems to be more, you know, more at the moment to react to threats, uh, you know, and to be able to react in, uh, you know, in a meaningful manner. Um, the hope is that the intelligence that is being provided allows organizations to thwart some of these, uh, you know, some of these attacks. Um, but, you know, there's, there's so many, so many actors, so many attacks, just depending on what you're, you're defending against, you know, I still think as an industry, you know, we're very reactive. Um, and, you know, and that's just, uh, you know, that's just the nature of, of the defense, you know, we play defense. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we have to respond and react to all of these broad kind of scenarios and an actor who is committed and determined to targeting you, you know, uh, really, you know, doesn't have to take all those things into consideration. They just have to find a way in uh, to, mm-hmm. to meet their goals. Yeah. I can remember 
early days for me. So I, I cut my teeth as a systems admin starting, you know, and, you know, desktop support early, right, right out of, right out of university. And then, you know, server systems and systems administration, then depending on where I worked, it was systems architecture. Somebody, somebody gave me an engineer title once. I was like, I don't, I don't engineer. (laughs) You know, it's implementation and integration, you know, those types of things where I specialized and I can remember my first, you know, and I was running, you know, dis a gold disc on servers way back in the day, looking for the, you know, to enumerate vulnerability. And then, big fix server got popular, like all these really weird tools. <laughs> Nessus, obviously still yeah. a big player in this space, but I can remember information assurance groups or, you know, information security groups giving me 500 page reports, you know, of all of my vulnerabilities on, on a server. Yeah. And I, the conversation at the time, I, I've told this story before, Mike, you've probably heard it a hundred times, but I'd get so frustrated because I'm like, I can't do anything with a 500 page report. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to me. They said, we'll just start with the critical vulnerabilities. I was like, I don't even know where they are in this report. It's 500 pages. Like you guys got to help me out here. And so finally I got the, I got the message through and I took, they put the report on my desk, like the monthly report or whatever. And I just took my trash, my burn bag. Right? <laughs> I, I picked it up and I held it next to the desk and I just slowly moved the, <laughs> the thing right into my burn bag. Didn't say a word and put it back under. And they're like, Oh, you actually want us to provide some analysis. Oh yeah. Yes, there we go. That'd be nice. Okay. <laughs> just, just give me a report with the number one, like the, the highest, the high criticality stuff, right? The number yeah. ones. Then tell me which ones of those are the most critical so that I can start doing the research on what the impact to the system is, right? Like you can't just go turn on FIPS compliancy on everything and hope that it works, right? You got to think about it. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that, and that's kind of where, where we are, uh, you know, with, with, with our, even our product is tell me, you know, I don't care that there are 500 things I have to address. Tell me what I should really be paying. Like where yeah. is the house on fire and where do I have to have to key in? Um, you know, and so we're not a, you know, risk IQ isn't a vulnerability scanner. Right. Uh, we're not here to tell you, you know, 100% vulnerable, although sometimes we can from our visibility. Uh, what we're here to tell you is, you know, exchange just, you know, Microsoft just announced these four, you know, zero day vulnerabilities and here are all your exchange servers and here's the version that's running. Uh, you know, that immediate situational awareness to know what you have to address at that right. time. Uh, it's really been, you know, been valuable to to our customers, um, you know, and with these compressed timelines of addressing, you know, addressing the issues, uh, that's significant for an organization, uh, especially large organizations who may have, you know, through mergers and acquisitions, acquired technology that they don't necessarily know is deployed. Yeah, right. So I want to jump over now. I, I was kind of asking about the, you know, threat intel as a service, what, you know, what it is, what it isn't, kind of all those things. But now I want to talk about some threats okay. because, and, and again, we warned you, this could be the lighter side of cybersecurity. So what's your favorite APT name or like collective or hive group? <laughs> what's, what's your favorite one? So you can get Cozy Bear and Lazarus and all these cool, like, what's your favorite one? Like, you're I, like, that's kind of a cool name. I, I hate, I hate them, but it's a cool name. Uh, I, you know, I've never, I've never a hundred percent named a group. Uh, but you know, I, I really do. I do, really do like the, uh, the the pinchy spider. You know, pinchy spider. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's uh, it's the Revel group. It's uh, you know, a CrowdStrike's name for for the ransomware actors. Uh, I, I think their names are are amusing to me. You know. Yeah. Uh, and while I like to make fun of them a bit, 
uh, you know, I do remember them. So it's, it's really, you know, it's really helpful in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like the ones that are like cozy bear. I mentioned because it's like, Oh, it's just a cozy bear. Like it's so nice. We know it's, you know, a Russian group, but then anything that's like the pink and fluffy bunnies. Right? We used to, when I, when I was at college, our intramural team, a few times we would name them the pink and fluffy bunnies. Cause if you beat us, who cares? You beat the pink and fluffy bunnies. But if you, if you, lost to us that's more embarrassing so, right so i kind of like the, the, the name. and that wow we were movie nerds it, the something fluffy bunnies was from one crazy summer with john cusack and demi moore remember he would write this might be a this is going to be a random pull steve i would not expect you to recognize this movie i'm looking at <laughs> like now do you remember, you remember they had something about the fuzzy bunnies and the, the cartoon he would draw? Anyway, that's a total digression. So, yeah, uh, one crazy summer. I know that one, one. Yeah, one crazy summer. So, anyway, uh, past the pink and fuzzy bunny and fun APT names. So, tell us just some of the threats that are kind of of interest to the world today. What are the things that you're seeing? We know they all have their different TTPs, as you mentioned, and yep. just kind of what's out there and, and what are you seeing that's interesting to you? Yeah, you know, the, the team kind of focuses uh, on a broad swath of, uh, you know, threats targeting our, our customers. Uh, some of the recent uh, interesting uh, research that they've, they've put out is uh, kind of around phishing kits. Uh, well, it doesn't, you know, uh, meet the threshold of, of APT, espionage, and, uh, and, and sexy all the time. It's really, you know, it's really impactful for, for our customer base to understand, uh, you know, these kits, what these actors may be doing behind them. Uh, and how they how they operate to uh, you know to target uh, individual organizations. So um, we put out some research around something we we called Logo Kit, uh, and the reason we found it to be interesting was uh, it was just a really flexible phishing kit uh, mm-hmm. that anyone you know uh, semi competent could deploy at uh, at a broad swath of capability to uh, you know to do credential harvesting. Uh, and the reason okay. we called it Logo Kit was that it would automatically parse. Uh, the email address it was targeting for uh, the name of the organization, it would go do a lookup on uh, some of these favicon databases uh, that Google and others support for mm-hmm. the actual, you know, riskiq.com logo. Like, give me, give me that logo, and I'll just plop it into the into the form to make it look official. I'll uh-huh. pre-populate your your email address because I know who I sent this to, uh, and then I'll just ask you for your password. Uh, and when you type it in, I'll wow. redirect you to riskiq.com, and you'll kind of think that's weird, and you know maybe you'll you, you know you'll forget about it. Um, but you know, so, really so it'll actually use the do- the email domain, find the company, and create a spoofed the, the actual fish content. Correct. And it, for credential harvesting, so instead of like uh, uh, like Podesta getting the the Google alert when the DNC emails, got, the email yep. servers got hacked. Um, it, it'll use what, instead of using Google, it's using the actual company kind of uh, logo and, and, and Correct. whatever else. And it's super flexible. So, I mean, we've seen it, you know, you look at uh, the, you know, some of them and you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is bad, but probably effective, right? You know, uh, a very simple login form with a company logo too. Yeah. Uh, you know, a very kind of refined version of PayPal or, or Google or Yahoo to, to access, uh, you know, better credentials. So um, the kit is sold by a group of actors who, you know, just empower people to, uh, to, to go run these phishing campaigns. And all- what do you guys know about the actors in this case? Uh, what can you say? What will you're willing to say? What's smart to say? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, you know, they seem to be, uh, you know, ever present. Uh, so they, they go mm-hmm. by this kind of uh, FUD, uh, fully undetectable uh, nice. uh, name. 
Uh, and they have, is there, is there logo Elmer? <laughs> That'd be amazing. I, I would like that. <laughs> Maybe that should be our logo for We're hunting. Wabbit. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and you know, they're, uh, they're actively marketing, you know, their, their service, right. You know, they, yeah. they sell, you know, this fish kit, they sell other kits, they sell bulletproof hosting services. They're, they're, you know, uh, they, they have, uh, you know, WhatsApp groups and, uh, there, you know, uh, it was interesting because we found a version of the code just in an open directory uh, and were able to kind of do some analysis and found this FUD email address uh, that started to correlate this whole group together of, hmm. uh, you know, of different attacks going back to 2017. Now, it's not all the same person or yeah, necessarily the same kit, but it all kind of uh, coalesces around this group of, of individuals selling uh, these fish kit services. Yeah, this is really interesting because it, it, it makes me think of, you know, the actual, you know, fish testing kits that you buy from. We, we use CoFence and we will yep. redistribute CoFence to our customers or, you know, know before and all these people that do fish testing and you get to pick your templates and you can customize your templates. It sounds like they've said, well, we could just do that and sell that as a service, but for the fish, not the testing of fish. <laughs> Correct. Uh, we've seen, uh, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, more legitimate actors uh, co-op some of those techno- uh, those technologies too. Uh, yeah. Me and Jonathan Kleinsma, one of our uh, one of our security researchers, it was two years ago. We're, we're looking at something called gift card sharks. Uh, this was when yeah. uh, India, the the uh, IT uh, company in India, Wipro. Uh, was, okay, yeah, sure. was targeted and, you know, a lot of these kind of uh, larger IT organizations. Uh, and as we kind of dug through the infrastructure uh, and looked at, you know, the domains and everything that was hosting, we started coming across some interesting uh, cookie names for a European, uh, you know, that, that led us to this European uh, phishing, you know, kind of testing software. And you could download a VM to do this from them yeah. for free. And, uh, and it appears that these actors had, and then like over the years, just modified the, the code and kind of built their own thing that did the redirect them to actual malicious. Yep. That was, uh, oh, was like, oh, yeah. wow, okay. Good for them. <laughs> That's like the new script kitty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, why, why go to the, the trouble when someone else has built it already? <laughs> I mean, Mr. Robot will give you a hard time for not having any code, but yeah, that's interesting. Copy paste. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really interesting. So, what? So, in addition to to that one, what else are you seeing that's kind of catching your eye these days? Uh, you know, I mean, I think ransomware has uh, has kind of come back on the scene in a in a larger way for for large scale organizations uh, than maybe what uh, you know what has been the case uh, pre you know twenty 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 nineteen. Um, so, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of ransomware actors up their game from you know mass. Uh, spamming of people to, to, you know, ransoming my single laptop to really targeting, uh, you know, larger organizations for bigger payouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen the evolution of these ransomware games from, uh, you know, qua- quantity to quality. Uh, so instead of trying to get, you know, a bunch of people's, you know, laptops or systems ransomed for a smaller payout, uh, finding targeted ways to get into an organization ransoming, you know, more expensive data or crown jewels, uh, per se, and, and mm-hmm. you know, seeing a better payout for, for their efforts. And, you know, I think you saw that play out in, uh, you know, in 2020, and you're seeing it a little bit uh, this year with some of the disclosures of uh, Shell, I think it was last week or the week before it came out, yeah. they had, uh, you know, they had an incident, you're seeing uh, a lot of people in association with this 
uh, a Celion file transfer server uh, that uh, that FireEye noted had, uh, you know, I think it was three or four vulnerabilities that that could be targeted by these uh, you know, ransomware and cyber criminal gangs. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's uh, where ransomware in my mindset from a threat intel perspective was always a little lower to, you know, these more advanced cyber crime groups and, uh, and espionage like activity. It's, it's slowly ramping up because they're adopting capabilities uh, of these yeah. actors. They're targeting, you know, weaknesses in RDP. They're targeting, you know, these weaknesses and vulnerabilities in things like exchange, like uh, yeah. FTA. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're using their resources better and they're causing more pain uh, to an organization. I think the evolution of ransomware has been a very interesting one uh, from the from the early days to where it is now. We've talked about it a number of times on on this show, um, where and you see that the surface and the vector of of initial compromise really changing is kind of what you were pointing out yes. now. But then also, you know, the not just you know the disru- it's the it's disruption. So I'd say it's a desperation caused by disruption in order to to extort. But now I also already have your data. I can release your data. I've wiped your backups. I've done all these other things yep. to make your life harder and worse to incentivize me because it's still for the for the most part true ransomware is about making a dollar for bad guys, right? Correct. And so they have to they have but they're coming up with new and terribly clever ways <laughs> you know sure, vicious to, to get you incentivized. Yeah, back up your data and you you know and restore from backup. Don't pay the ransom. Okay, well great, but we've got your data so we're going to, you know, run a double extortion play and if exactly. you don't pay us, uh, we'll just dump the data online. Yeah, you know, I mean it's uh, Right. And hack and dump spent forever. Like that's a thing, but hacktivists and you yep. know, I mean you saw a nation, you know, that I was thinking North Korea and Sony, but like that's a yep. that was that was activism, not, you know, because they <laughs> they don't want to be insulted in a weird way, nation state. But, yeah. <laughs> but hack and dumps have been around forever, but now it's well pay us no oh, we were able to restore well, that's okay we're just going to release fifty thousand <laughs> emails from your your mail database right? yeah right i mean and what's the reputational cost there yeah i mean it's yeah it's a concern yeah definitely absolutely all right so we again said it once said it twice said it a million times on the show we, we love the lighter side and so mike and i are big movie nerds i mentioned it we always ask this especially kind of towards the end of an episode what do you have are you a movie guy steve I am uh, a little bit, not probably, uh, you know, a, a diehard, but, uh, but I watch it my decent. Good movie. Good movies. movie. Diehard is a good <laughs> movie. <laughs> uh, Christmas movie. I finally convinced my wife cause she saw it on, on like the, during, during the holidays, she saw it on a shelf in like the special cover with like holiday wrapping around it with other holiday movies. So she's like, Oh my gosh, it is a Christmas. Definitely movie. A Christmas movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, do you have a TV show movie, some pop culture thing that you like that has to do with security, cybersecurity? Do you have a favorite kind of a go-to? Uh, you know, I, I steer clear of, uh, of those, uh, on the, uh, you know, I'm more towards the sci-fi in my, okay. in my focus. So, uh, I'm a huge expanse person right now. Oh, I love that show. I've, I've been watching the uh, the show, so I've uh, I've really been been getting into that. I have not gotten into that one yet, Mike. That's something you're into, though. You like that? Yeah, one? I've I broadcasted on the team chat multiple times. I think I got I got one of my de- app developers, but I don't know if it's because he's looking for a performance review bump or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well. I mean, I, I think the the books are fantastic, but the uh, the production quality of the uh, of the show uh, yeah. is uh, is amazing, and it's a uh, 
Uh, it's a really, it's a really good uh, escapist uh, watch. Although the real too with the geopolitical issues and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, there's infighting and there's political <laughs> stances and there's different nation states that are going after each other. But like, I totally agree. It's a really the, the production quality, the acting, the storytelling is really well done. What service is it on, Mike? It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, Prime. I'll have to check it out. I was just looking for the next thing to watch for sure. I Although sci-fi related, I, Mike and I both have been watching Resident Alien. Have you, have oh, you heard of this that show? Was good. That's a good show. No, yeah, we'll have to look, I'll have to look at this. Yeah. It's a, it's a sci-fi, but it's a, it's a dark comedy. Okay. Um, it's, uh, uh, Alan, Alan Tudyk. Alan yeah, who, Tudyk. Who sci-fi folks will recognize the name from all sorts of things, but, uh, very fun. So dodgeball, he was the, the, uh, Steve, the pirate, <laughs> and he, but he sci-fi, plays uh, uh, firefly, firefly, okay. obviously yeah. is where the sci-fi people will recognize or the voice of, I think, was it K2SO in rogue one? Sorry. We're really deep nerds over here. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a pretty good dark comedy we've been watching on the sci-fi front. And I finally, I think the last season of Mr. Robot is on Amazon prime for free. So I'm going to go watch, finish that one. Of course. Okay. I'm going to have to that, throw that into the rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, I I really enjoyed this conversation. Can I, 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 I got to ask yep. one question before yeah, please, we Mike. go. So um, you said uh, Risk IQ chose your product, absorbed it. And I'm guessing it wasn't for free. And I'm envisioning like a Scrooge McDuck vault of coins that you're swimming in. <laughs> yes. How did Risk IQ woo you in order to be the 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 company that you wanted to provide your product dump to? truck full of money? That's the only <laughs> way to woo somebody. In it, no. um, uh, the the offer the offer was, was nice, uh, but the the real um, you know kind of the realization uh, at the time you know Brandon and I had created a platform that was uh, really good at bringing data together, but we did not own any of the data. So we had you know wired in these APIs across a bunch of different organizations and and third party providers. And so we were playing the ultimate middleman game. Um, and as we were growing the, the platform for, you know, for an enterprise customer, uh, that was great from a, you know, from a, from a free kind of perspective. Uh, but we realized that to do better things, uh, we, we needed the data. And RiskIQ, based on its web crawling and, it, and some of its other products, uh, and focusing on kind of understanding an organization's attack surface, had all this, da- this data that we could ingest and use to help threat investigators, threat hunters, uh, you know, answer, answer their questions. And so it was kind of a, uh, you know, it was an inflection point for us as a business. Uh, it happened to coincide with, with them, uh, you know, looking to do something similar, but, uh, you know, wanting to build a UI capability for this that we had already built. Uh, and so it made a lot of sense for, uh, you know, for the two organizations to, to come together. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was just, uh, the timing was a match made in heaven. The, the timing was right. We had met Lou, our CEO, the year before, and kind of told him what we were doing and talked to him. And he was like, "Awesome, you know, you guys, uh, you guys should uh, come back and talk to me, you know, uh, and let me know how it goes." Um, but they weren't in the right, you know, position at that time. Uh, you know, about a year later, we were having kind of follow-on conversations, and and uh, it all started to make sense. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what a great story. And it does sound like a good match as you're describing. So I warned you, Steve, when we started this conversation that this is, there's nothing prepared. Mike and I didn't prepare a single question. And we're, and, and while we share a brain often, we're, we're not always on the same page. So I was starting to cut, cut, cut yep. the episode and uh, Mike said, no, I got one more question. So I, I warned you it's a, it, this is a, a very free and open conversation, but I, I really enjoyed it. This is no, this absolutely. has been this has been great, and I will give one plug to any of the listeners. Um, if you Please want to do it. check out the investigative platform, 
uh, it's free for anybody to sign up uh, and it's at community.riskiq.com. Community.riskiq.com. Uh, correct. Uh, and so you can sign up and use a subset of the data. Uh, you know, for, if you're a student, if you're just kind of getting into the space uh, and want to, you know, uh, want to start out investigating this type of data, we have an Intel portal that you can go look at recent articles that the team has uh, has published on uh, and open source intelligence that we've ingested and enriched. So um, free free resource for anybody who uh, who wants to wants to go check it out. Yeah, we have our, our threat intel comes from one of our grad students for the most part. It, and and it, the funny story on it, Steve, is that uh, he says from the he always says from the basement dwellers. And then he gives us uh, the, the thing. But it's a double kind of inside joke. Right. So the idea of security research and things being in the basement, all that. But yeah. in the basement of our building is the feds. We have a small <laughs> field office here. And so it's always an FBI alert that comes out and it's just from the basement dwellers. And uh, I love I like the, the double play there. But again, Steve, thanks for thanks for joining. Anything else you need to plug real quick? Just that the community dot riskiq.com. Anything else? We, we have a big launch uh, coming out next week uh, for our Illuminate platform, which is the next evolution of uh, RiskIQ's platform, bringing together threat intelligence uh, and this attack service management, kind of distilling it down to uh, you know those top priority insights uh, that an organization needs to understand to defend uh, you know, against these attacks. Um, uh, starting with that launch, you should be able to trial uh, the service. It's basically kind of high, medium, low criticality of vulnerabilities. We've surfaced in an attack service we've generated uh, for over 4,000 organizations uh, on the internet. Uh, so also worth uh, worth checking out that, um, that we launch uh, next Tuesday, I want to say. Uh, so uh, looking forward to that and it may be of interest to uh, to your listeners after this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, for the the official record, we want you to plug whatever you want. This is not a sponsorship, right? but uh, we don't want you to get in trouble with your coworkers and bosses either. So I, I, came on the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, we, we want to bring tools and interesting content to our listeners. And that's our only goal. We don't have any sponsors or anything like that. But uh, we just thought that this would be a fun conversation. And it was. So Great. thanks again. It's, it's good to meet you, Steve, and uh, in, enjoyed it. Very nice to meet you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, and to all our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. If you want to get a hold of us, CyberTap Podcast at Purdue.edu. We always love to hear from you. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you guys later. Thanks.